Oh, all right. Isn't God so good? I, as I was singing How Great Thou Art, and I just overwhelmed with God's goodness and God's faithfulness. And just as I was thinking about it, I, I just thought, I hope, I mean, this, this idea of entering into a space and then coming before the God of the universe, the King of Kings, and just the grandeur of that and the wonder of that, I hope I never lose the awe of that. Um, as I lead. And that was just a really beautiful moment. So thank you all for joining me in worship. But all right, so uh, moving away uh, from that, I have to tell you a story about my childhood. And so it might surprise you, but I was not a perfect kid growing up. I had a couple of flaws, turns out. And so one of these flaws was that I struggled with being grateful. And so as a kid growing up in India, your aunts and uncles aren't just the people in your, like, they're not the people you're related to. Your aunts and your uncles are actually all the adults in your community. And so I had a lot of these aunts and these uncles. And these aunts and uncles loved me a lot. And so they would send me these really beautiful dress shirts for my birthday or for Christmas. And so they would send them all the way from India all the way to the States. And so this was a really big deal. They would send me these really fancy dress shirts. But as a middle school student, I thought I was already at the peak of fashion which meant that I loved my baggy t-shirts and my blue jeans, and I didn't want to wear any of these fancy dress shirts. And so, instead of receiving them with gratitude and saying, wow, I have aunts and uncles that love me a ton, I looked at them with a little bit of disgust. I was like, I, I don't really want to wear this shirt at all. And I actually struggled to write thank you notes back to these aunts and uncles who sent this gift all the way from India. And so my parents because they didn't want to raise a child who was entitled and a child who was uh, just not grateful. They decided that they were going to put a stop to this right now. And so something you need to know about my parents is that they are incredibly creative people, and they're really thoughtful. And so instead of giving me a lecture on gratitude or a lecture on gratefulness, they decided on a more tangible experience. And so here's what they decided to do. They informed me that they were taking away all my clothes except three items of clothing. So they were going to take away all my clothes except three items, and they got to choose the three items that they were going to give me. And I remember these three items. So they gave me a long-sleeve purple shirt. I did not like the color purple. Long-sleeve purple shirt. They gave me black jeans. Remember, I thought blue jeans were the thing. They gave me black jeans. And then they gave me a bright yellow dress shirt. And as a middle school student who just wants to, like, fade into the background, bright yellow is not the color you want to be wearing when you head into uh, these social events. And so as an extrovert, the problem was that my next 10 days, oh, by the way, this was a 10-day thing. This was not like a one-day thing. This was a 10-day uh, experience. Because I was an extrovert, I had activities planned every single day of the next 10 days. And each of those days, I had to wear a combination of the, these outfits. And so... I started the 10 days, I started to wear like a winter coat over my dress yellow shirt so that no one would have to see the bright yellow shirt that I was wearing. And then I like, when I had to take that coat off, my friends would ask, hey, what's going on? Why are you wearing the same thing over and over and over again? And some of you might be asking that about myself right now because you've seen me this whole year and you're like, this guy only has two shirts. That's true. Uh, and so, <laughs> but they'd ask me like, what's going on? And I'd be like, oh, my parents, they're the worst. They're making me do this. And so the 10 days began, but let me tell you, after the 10 days, I was different. 
The day came when my parents returned all my clothing to me, and I had to answer the question, how was I going to live as my life returned back to normal? Was I going to live with the lessons that I learned in that 10-day period? Or was I going to take the lesson of gratitude that I learned and throw it out? Now, you might not have had your clothes taken from you, but we've all been through a year where our lives have been turned upside down, right? Where things have been postponed or put on hold. Some of you have faced loss. You've faced job loss. Some of you have struggled with your health. You've had celebrations canceled. Even as a church, we've had to adapt. I still remember where I was on March 13th last year when I got the call from uh, Steph saying, Sheridan Elementary is closed. We can't meet there anymore. We're going to have to adjust. We've been through a year where it seems like everything was stripped back. Yet just like my clothes being taken away from me gave me the space to learn gratitude, this past year has invited us to learn things about ourselves and about others. We've learned how important it is to be intentional with our relationships, how meaningful it is to gather. We've learned about what it looks like to pursue justice, to listen and learn from our neighbors and walk with them as we pursue restoration and healing in our city. We've learned what it looks like to be a Christ follower in 2020 and in 2021. What it looks like to go to God with our laments or our confessions. What it looks like to go to God when everything seems out of control. What it looks like to listen and see what God is doing and respond. I know for myself, one of the things that I learned was I am just relying on God's grace and God's goodness and mercy every single day. So what lessons have you learned this past year? Now, a year later, it seems like life is moving towards a new normal. And we're still not out of the woods with COVID, but kids are enjoying summer camps. We're enjoying celebrations and weddings and grad parties. We're able to actually go to movie theaters to watch movies. Even as a church, we're heading back to Sheridan, a community that we know and love. Things are going towards a new normal. And as our calendars and lives are beginning to fill up the way they, before, the way they did before 2020, the question we need to ask is, are we going to carry the lessons we learned this past year with us into this new normal? Or are we going to throw these lessons away and just go back to the way life was? Are we going to spend time fixing our eyes on our Google calendars instead of fixing our eyes on what the Spirit is doing and where the Spirit is moving? This morning, we're going to walk through the book of Malachi, where the people of Israel faced similar questions. They had just faced a time where things were stripped back, and as they returned to a new normal, they could either choose to live with hearts open to what God was doing, or just focus on themselves. They unfortunately choose the latter, and God uses the prophet Malachi to confront them about this. The book is challenging to read, but I believe it can help us live as Christ followers as we head back into or head forward into this new normal in 2021. So before we dive into Malachi, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to head into the book. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for your faithfulness and goodness to us as we've walked past, uh, as we've walked through this year. We thank you for the ways that you've been with us in loss. We thank you for the ways that you've challenged us. We thank you for the ways that you've invited us. So, Father, I pray that as we head through this sermon, Lord, would you guide us through your text? Holy Spirit, would you open up our hearts to receive what you're doing? Would you open up our ears to hear what you're saying? And would you give us courage to step in these directions as we step into a new normal, as we step into the fall? We love you, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.
All right, so if you have a Bible or an app, you can turn with me to the book of Malachi. So if you have a phone, you can pull it out. Turn to the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, so it's a pretty easy book to find. You just turn to the end of the Old Testament. So as you turn there, here's some context. In the Old Testament, you have the people of Israel who were to be God's representatives to the world. They were to be a community that acted justly, loved mercy, and walked humbly with God and with each other. There were times when they succeeded in doing this, but they soon, like all of us, chose to follow their own desires. So God sent prophets like Isaiah, Jonah, and Micah. These are prophets that we've talked about this past month to warn the people that if they continue to disobey God, God would take them away from the promised land, which God told them would happen if they did disobey when they got the promised land originally. But the people of Israel didn't listen to the warnings and continued to live as if God didn't matter. And so we read in the Old Testament that God lets the kingdom of Babylon take them into exile. They lost the land and they lost the temple, which was a symbol of God's presence with his people. Yet even in this period of exile, God still showed Israel his unfailing love. God promises to restore Israel and bring them back to the land. And in faithfulness, we read in the Old Testament that God does bring them back from the land. He brings them back from exile in Babylon to the promised land and even allows them to rebuild the temple. So this is where we find the prophet Malachi. In Babylon, like I said, the people faced a time where everything was stripped back. But now they were coming back into a new normal where they had the temple, they had the land, and they faced a question. Were they going to follow God with their whole lives? Or were they going to return back to where they were before they went into exile? Our good friend from the Bible Project, Tim Mackey, says that we found out that the exile fundamentally didn't change anything in the people. They chose the latter. They had rebuilt the temple. They were back in the land, but they continued to act as if God didn't matter. So God sends the prophet Malachi to warn the people and invite them to return back to God. And that's where we're going to begin this morning. So if you're with me, or you can look on the screen, we're going to start in Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. So Malachi 1 says, A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Okay, so before we go on, one of the things we have to keep in mind, and this will just help as you read through the book of Malachi, is Malachi is structured into these disputes where God is going to make a claim and the Israelites are going to disagree and God is going to respond to that disagreement to prove that his claim is correct. It kind of reminds me when I was a teenager, my mom would say, Ashish, you need to apologize. And I vividly remember one time walking up to the island and saying, I'm not going to say sorry until I know what I'm sorry for. Yep, so that's kind of what's happening here. Then the disputes. All right, so God starts the whole book, this book of warning with this reminder. God says, I have loved you. And the people respond with, how have you loved us, God? So God, if if you read through it, it says, God reminds them of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God reminds them that throughout the exile to their present day, his unconditional love never left them. It's God's love that has been with them through history and God's love that would continue to be with them. And God's love invited the people to respond. It invited the people to respond by loving God and by loving each other. But the people weren't. And so that's why God sends in Malachi. And so here we pick up in the second dispute. And so we're going to start in verse 6. God says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? 
If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? You see these disputes kind of playing along in Malachi. God says, by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would just shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offering will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. All right, we're going to stop there, actually. So what's going on? Earlier this year, we covered the book of Leviticus. We covered how God, out of his unfailing love, had given Israel the sacrificial system as a way to be in relationship with this God. These sacrifices involved Israel bringing the best of their flock, the best of their resources, to respond to the love of a holy God, the Lord Almighty, as Malachi says. Yet this is not what's happening. The people had begun to focus on themselves. And this rhythm of worship, which was supposed to lead them to encounter the God of the universe, had become so mundane. The people, instead of bringing their best, were bringing their leftovers. They were moving aside the strong sheep that they had and bringing God the sheep that they wanted to get rid of. God's love invited the people to worship him with their all and in doing so to represent God to the surrounding nations. But they were making a mockery of the king of kings by giving God their leftovers. So what does that look like for us today? I mean, I'm not bringing in a bunch of sheep to Quincy Hall every Sunday. So what does that look like for us? We learned as we walked through Leviticus that the sacrifices were never meant to be the final solution. God knew we couldn't hold up our end of the deal, so God came down and laid down his life for us. We celebrate Jesus as the perfect sacrifice. He was the best sacrifice, for he was God himself. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, he made a way for us to be eternally forgiven, eternally made whole, made a way for us to be in relationship with God forever. So how does God invite us to respond to that love? Here, the Apostle Paul writes it beautifully, and it's going to be up on the screen. Paul says in Romans 12, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. See, we no longer have to bring sacrifices. Jesus did that once and for all. But now God invites us to offer, not sheep, but God invites us to offer our whole lives. To have hearts that are open and available to join in the work that God is doing. Yet how often do we just give God the leftovers of our lives? I think very often uh, we tend to compartmentalize our relationship with God into a box and open that box only when it's convenient for us or where it doesn't interrupt our schedule. 
And now very often this conversation, this topic of compartmentalizing our life will lead to a topic about devotions. And like, okay, you need to spend more time with God in your devotions. That's how you bring the best of your life to God. And if you're like me, you've had to answer questions like, how much time are you spending on Netflix compared to your time with Jesus? How much time are you spending with your friends as opposed to time with Jesus? And those questions just aren't helpful. They end up bringing a lot of shame. They're not empowering. This is actually what I think is really important when we look at the topic of devotions. The time limit is not the point in devotions. You could be spending two minutes or two hours, and devotions are important because they allow us to get to know God more. They allow us to get to know his heart and join in the work that God is doing. But it could be two minutes or two hours. The point of that time is to reorient us to the fact that all our time belongs to God. That's why you do devos, so that you can fix your eyes on Christ and say, oh, all my time, all the hours in my day belong to God. In giving our lives to God, we're saying, Lord, my heart is available to join you in the work that you're doing in all my everyday spaces. Jesus gave his whole life for us. Should we not be willing to do the same? Mill City Church, is this statement true of our community? Are we people that say, Lord, you can have an hour and a half on Sunday, and then you can have like 15 minutes on Wednesday? Or are we people that say, Lord, you can have my whole life, all of my time, my heart is available to join in the work that you're doing in our relationships, in the ways that we pursue justice, in my workplaces, in my neighborhoods, in the mundane or the extraordinary. My heart is available to join you in the work you are doing because of your unfailing love for me. This is the first invitation God has for us as we step towards this new normal. God invites us to give our whole lives. But what does that look like? And I believe that looks like joining God in our everyday spaces. As we continue through Malachi, we find three spaces God invites us to join in the work that God is doing as we step into a new normal. These spaces are in our relationships, as we pursue justice, and in our finances. So we're going to begin with the area of relationships. The first area God invites us to join him is in our relationships. So we're going to move to Malachi 2, and you can turn to there uh, with me. I'm going to just paraphrase it for us. So in Malachi 2, what's happening is God wants Israel to reflect his unfailing love in the ways that they relate to one another. Yet they were doing the opposite, especially in their marriages. So God calls them out and reminds them how much God cares about their relationships, specifically about marriage. I love how the message translation says, God, not you, made marriage. And his spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. Now, as we look at how to apply this text to our lives today, I don't want us to get hung up on the topic of divorce or marriage, which uh, Malachi talks about in chapter 2. Rather, here's what I believe is the heart of this passage. The heart of this passage is that God cares about how we are intentional with our relationships, starting with those closest to us. God cares about how we are intentional with our relationships, starting with those closest to us. Offering our whole lives to God involves following his invitation to be intentional with the relationships in our lives. To follow God's spirit in the ways we have grace for one another. To follow God's spirit in the ways that we celebrate one another. To follow God's spirit and ask for wisdom and discernment as we discern, are we going to step forward in this relationship or are we going to step back? To follow God's spirit as we have hard conversations, 
as we are clear in setting our boundaries. These are all ways that we can follow God's Spirit and be intentional in our relationships. God cares about how we are intentional. I love how the message translation says the Spirit inhabits the smallest parts. And I think that's true. The Spirit inhabits the smallest parts of our interactions with our roommates, with our families, and with our friends. So here's the first invitation, and if you're taking notes, here's invitation number actually two, because the first invitation was give God your whole life. This is the second invitation. Second invitation is God invites us to be intentional in our relationships. Especially as we return to a new normal and as our calendar fills up, where is God inviting you to be intentional with those closest to you? This pandemic showed how much people need each other. And as Christ followers, are we going to show up for that? Maybe this means texting a friend you haven't heard from in a while. Maybe it means doing like a chore to help out a roommate or a spouse. Could it mean having extra grace for your kids, reflecting Christ in the way that you are patient with them? As we head into a new normal, a question to ask is, how is God inviting you to be intentional in your relationships in everyday spaces? So God invites us to be intentional with our relationships. Second, God invites us to pursue justice. After confronting the people on their apathy in relationships, Malachi continues with the disputes. Malachi says this in chapter 2, verse 17, You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying that all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? So when the people argue, where is the God of justice, they are thinking about the enemies outside of Israel. They had just come from a period where they were in exile in Babylon. They're saying, Lord, when are you going to punish the people that were evil to us? And so God says, okay, I'm going to come. I'm, the God of justice is going to show up. But the God of justice is going to start with his house first before he moves to those outside of this nation. And so God says in Malachi 3.5, I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers and adulterers and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. See, God invited the people to respond to his love by caring for those that God cared about. The orphans, the widows, the vulnerable, those on the margins of society. Yet because the people had become so focused on themselves, they were closed off to joining God and making the wrong things right. Justice, corruption, and poverty were abounding all around them, and they were doing nothing. So this past year, I know many of us learned about the experience that many of our neighbors of color face on a daily basis. The pandemic seemed to create a long overdue space for us to listen, empathize, and join a journey people have been walking for hundreds of generations, as we seek to confront injustice in our own lives and in the city. As Christ followers, this is where we need to be. We need to be on the front lines pursuing justice, pursuing God's heart, and following the Spirit as we go to those on the margins. To follow Jesus' example in fighting for provision, healing, justice, and freedom. But as life returns to normal, it's going to be so easy for some of us to stop this fight. To act like fighting for justice was a 2020 thing, but now 2021 is here and I have other things in my life that I need to focus on. I say this for myself as well. It's so easy to turn inward on this journey 
Some of us have the privilege to say, I'm just not going to think about this today. I'm going to set it aside and do my own thing in life. But living with a heart available to what God is doing means joining God daily in the work that God is doing to bring justice and restoration to those around us. God invites us to be intentional with our relationships. And second, God invites us to pursue justice. So what could that look like for you? Maybe that means joining the Housing and Homelessness Initiative at Mill City. Maybe that means speaking up when you hear wrong things said at work. Maybe it's paying attention to your neighborhood and how different events affect different people in your neighborhood and how you can advocate for their voices and emotions to be heard. Would we be a church whose hearts are available to join God in pursuing justice in our city? So here's the second question as we step into a new normal. How is God inviting you to pursue justice in your everyday spaces? So God invites us to be intentional in our relationships. God invites us to pursue justice. And lastly, God invites us to trust him with our finances. So this is the last part of Malachi. We're going to go to Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. So we hop back into the disputes. Malachi, or God says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and in offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not even be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it is ripe says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, money is a really tricky thing to tackle, and we could spend a whole series talking about the meaning of tithing. But at its core, tithing was to be an outward expression of an inward reality. God invited Israel to tithe as a way for them to remember that their trust was in God, not in their finances. Now, we must remember, with the context, Israel is probably still rebuilding post-exile. So their economy is not where it once was, and they're probably really tempted to hold on to their finances and to trust in their own strength. Yet God is saying, trust me with your finances. This is for your own good. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. God promised to provide, and God invited them to trust him. All right, so I remember as a kid, I really wanted to save up for an iPod Classic. I don't know, did anyone have an iPod Classic here? It's like the little bricks that you, like two-inch screens that you could watch movies on. Had 80 gigs. It's pretty, pretty amazing. And so, at that time, I was saving up for an iPod Classic. My grandma also invited me to send some money to another young boy in India that was at the orphanage that she was working at. And so as I would get my allowance each month, I would send $10 to this uh, young boy, and I would save the rest for my iPod. However, as a young kid, I discovered that if I didn't send the $10 to this young boy and instead saved it for my iPod, I would actually get my iPod faster than if I sent the money to this young boy. I had a couple of flaws as a kid. So at the end of six months, this is what I did. I didn't send money to that young boy, but I, I kept the money for myself. And at the end of six months, I went to my mom and said, all right, I have the money for the iPod. And so my mom, being, being the person that she is, she said, hey, 
So your grandma says you haven't sent money to this boy in six months. Uh, is that true? And I said, oh, yeah, but I'm planning on sending extra the next six months, so it'll be fine. It, the, the boy will be fine. And like I said, my parents are thoughtful and creative, so my mom said, all right, we'll, we'll get the iPod if you want, but I want you to talk to God first. I was like, oh, are you kidding me? That's one of the iPod, and now you want me to talk to God? And she's like, if, if God says go get the iPod, get the iPod. But if God says to follow him and, and, and trust God with your finances, then, then trust God with, with your little $10 allowance. So I said, okay, fine, I'll go do it. And so I went to my bedroom and I talked with God. And it wasn't long before God said, hey, you need to send that money to this kid in India instead of keep it for your iPod. And so I went out to my mom, and my mom knew that's what God would say. And so I gave, I gave her the money and said, okay, I'll, I'll just spend the next six months saving up for this iPod. So I brought the $60 to my mom, and I, then I went to sleep. And the unbelievable happened the next day. So this is the $60 that I, I sent off to this kid. And the next day I woke up and I said, all right, so what do I need to save to get this iPod? And my dad came to me and he said, actually, Ashish, the iPod went on sale. I said, oh, no way. And he's like, yeah, it went on sale for 60 bucks. And I was like, no way, that's incredible. And I was like, this is, this is amazing. And so the moral of the story is not to go and give money and then check the price of TVs and PS5s the next day. That, that's not what I want to see from Mill City. But the point of the story is that God showed me that generosity is not something God wants from me, but for me. God wanted to teach me a lesson in trusting him with my finances. And it just so happened that he gave me a little piece of metal to, to be a reminder of that lesson. So especially after last year, when it felt like life was turned upside down, I feel like it is so easy to let worry guide the way that I handle my finances. It seems like it's the only thing I can control some days. Yet God's invitation is the same today as it was for the people of Israel back then. God invites us to trust God with our finances. God invites us to use our money and our resources to serve and bless those around us. Mill City, you're a community that is so generous. The ways that you give of your time, the ways that you give of your money is just incredibly inspiring. And so as we head into a new normal, as we head back to Sheridan, let's not give up this practice of generosity to serve our community around us and join God in the work that God is doing. So God invites us to trust him with our finances. Maybe as you step into a new normal, maybe that's contributing to the one fund that Steph talked about earlier in our service today. Maybe it's giving towards someone who's running for access to clean water. I know some of you are running these marathons. Some of you are running these races. As I brought up this idea to Anna, because, you know, like, I need to live what I'm preaching— I talked to her and I said, hey, what would it look like for us to adjust our budget so that we can give? Like, are there spaces that we can give more? And Anna just said, of course, like, I want to be generous. That's something incredible. That's something I'm excited to do. If it's following God, it's worth doing. So we're looking at our budget and we're trying to figure out where we can spend less in order to invest more in what God is doing. So this is the last question, and would you join me and Anna in this? How is God inviting you to trust him with your finances in your everyday spaces. So at the beginning of Malachi, God reminds Israel, I have loved you, and that's God's reminder for us today. I have loved you. And as we head back to Sheridan, as we go towards a new normal, as our calendars fill up, let's not forget about this love. 
God's love is the reason we're here today. And in response to that steadfast love, God invites us to offer him our whole lives. So how do we do that? We have hearts that are available to join in the work God is doing. Join in the work of being intentional in our relationships. Join in the work of pursuing justice. Join him in trusting God with our finances. Can you imagine what God could do through a community, through a church, that said we're going to have our hearts available to what you are doing? So as we return to a new normal, let's walk with hearts available to what God is doing. I'm going to invite the band up as I explain the next song. So the next song says, Here's My Heart. Lord. And it repeats this lyric over and over again. And during this next song, I just want you to use it as a time of reflection. So if you have a phone available, if you have a journal, I just want you to write down these questions. I want you to write down the question, how is God inviting you to be intentional with the relationships in your life? You can even just write relationships as a section. The second question, how is God inviting you to pursue justice? You can write justice as a section. And how is God inviting you to trust God with your finances? You can put finances or money as a section. God's love invites us to live with our hearts available to what God is doing. And so as we play this next song, as these lyrics kind of wash over you, I just want you to spend some time with the Spirit and ask, Holy Spirit, how do you want me to respond? Where do you want me to be intentional? What is one way that I can be intentional in my relationships? What is one way I can pursue justice? What is one way I can trust you with my finances? And instead of making a massive list, unless the Spirit's like, okay, make a massive list. If you're like me, a massive list is just overwhelming. So I just want you to choose one simple thing you can do in one area. And then put that into practice this next week. So as we head into this next song, let me pray, and then we're going to head into this time of reflection as we close our service together. Holy Spirit, Father, Son, thank you that you love us. Thank you for your unfailing love. Your love that has led us through this time where it feels like we've been wandering. Through a time where it feels like everything has been stripped back. And so, Jesus, we just thank you for your grace and mercy every single day to get us to where we are right now. And so, Lord, as we head into this new normal, would we be people that live with lives that are open to the work that you are doing? People that live with hearts available to say, Lord, I will join in with how you're moving in our community, in our neighborhoods, at our work. So, Jesus, as we go into this next time of reflection, would you speak to our hearts when it comes to the ways that we can be intentional in our relationships? The ways that we can join you in making the wrong things right by pursuing justice. And the ways that we can respond to you by trusting you with our finances. Jesus says this in Malachi, you are the Lord Almighty. You are worthy of our whole lives. And so Jesus, would we be a community that just says, here I am. I'm ready to listen. I'm ready to follow you. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We love you, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. So just take some time to reflect on those questions as we end our time in worship.